keeps ticking after taking a licking, and here we are. This is deep shit. Hey guys, it's me, Baron Vaughn. It's been a while, um, and uh, so this sucks. I just uh, found some stuff out that has uh, been uh, preventing me from posting deep shits over the last couple months. First of all, it's been a busy couple of months. It's pilot season, which is now ended in Los Angeles. And uh, basically from December to April, people are just going out, busting their asses, going out on multiple editions a day, every single day for four months. Um, And uh, it is an insane time in Los Angeles. It is insane that this is how people do it. Actually, I don't know if any of you read entertainment news, but Fox, the network Fox, said they are no longer doing pilot season. It's been a 20-year-long experiment that they think no longer works, no longer makes good television, that it uh, makes people make bad decisions because everyone is stressed and anxious and angry for four months in a row, and that's the place that they're making every single creative decision from to last for a year. Anyway, it's incredibly distracting, and I no longer have a car, which a lot of you know, so I was busting my butt trying to figure out where I can get cars to borrow. My good friend Brian Cook was um, instrumental in lending me his car to get around. My girlfriend, excuse me, ex-girlfriend Jackie was also instrumental in me getting around. We were together, and now we're not together anymore. And you know what? That's also another reason it's been a long time since I've posted any podcasts. Uh, Lots of stress trying to get from audition to audition. Meanwhile, booking nothing, still having no money. And um, also uh, being in a relationship that wasn't working for maybe far too long. Also, there's been an interesting feeling in the comedy community as of late. Um, There's been a big anti-podcasting sentiment among a bunch of comedians who are just blanketly deciding not to do any podcasts or feeling like their friendships are just turning into them podcasting with people. Uh, and, um, so people are kind of, there's kind of this weird revolt, this, uh, you know, other extreme of everyone was trying to do a podcast. And now there's a lot of people who don't want to do any podcast, uh, any podcasts. And that includes a lot of the people that have done my podcast before that I've been trying to get, I've been trying to book people again, but everyone's been so damn busy over the last couple of months that they just don't have the time. Everyone's traveling. I've been traveling. All of us are going to all these demonditions and shows. And the one time when we might be able to hang out and be social with each other, I or they or someone else is trying to turn it into a podcast. And so there's been a lot of people being like, can we just hang out and not put it on the internet? And that has also added to me not being able to uh, make any podcasts. Um, I've gotten a couple in the can like the one that you're going to hear right now um, with Matt Kirshen. Matt Kirshen is an interesting, interesting man. Uh, I met him a couple years ago in New York, I believe. Maybe it was Los Angeles, but I'm pretty sure it was New York. And um, he's a he's a uh, from the UK, as you will be able to tell by his accent, obviously. Um, interesting guy. Um, I got to know him more from doing uh, the Probably Science podcast, which was uh, Andy Wood, Matt Kirshen, and Brooks Whelan. Brooks Whelan, who's now on Saturday Night Live. Um, the three of them had a podcast because they all have degrees in science. Um, I think that – I know that that Matt has a degree in math, 
or maths, which we talk about in this podcast. Uh, and I said maths, as you'll hear, because I guess that's how the Brits say it. Or it's supposed to encapsulate, I guess, a bunch of different kinds of math. Thus, it is math plural. It's maths, not just math. Algebra is math, but algebra and calculus and trigonometry are maths. I don't know if that's true. I'm making it up. It sounds fucking convincing. Um, and Brooks and Andy both have engineering degrees. One, I think, biological, bio, not biological. One's, one's like electrical engineering. One's bio something. I don't know. I don't remember. Anyway, that's how I met Matt. Started to get to know him better and um, knowing him around the scene and seeing him around a lot. So we got to sit down and have this discussion months ago. But I think it still applies. Um, this conversation on work ethic is sort of what has launched me into a, I want to say, new phase of me. I'm trying to unleash Baron 3.0. Now, you might have heard me talk about Baron 2.0. You know what? I rushed that operating system. I rushed that one to market. It was not ready. It was really buggy. Um, it was missing a lot of the elements that made the original Baron unique and original. And uh, I was just trying to make it something that uh, was going to be functional for anybody. And you know what? I don't need to be functional for everybody. Um, I need to be functional for the people that understand how I operate. Okay? So that's what Baron 3.0 is. It is an operating system that I am now becoming that is going to be very, very different. And it's combining um, the the just the wonder and amazement and efficacy of Baron 1.0 and uh, some lessons that were learned in the uh, the failure of Baron 2.0. That uh, there are some good things in there, but I feel like a lot of it was uh, kind of throwing spaghetti at the proverbial wall. And uh, now I think that Baron 3.0 is going to be much, 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 much better. But uh, this conversation that I had with Matt um, is a perfect example of some of the things that I've been thinking about and uh, some of the things that I am trying to tackle in a very different way. Um, also, this sucks. Literally right before I recorded what I'm doing right now, I found out that one of my two microphones doesn't work anymore. It has a short in it. It's either the microphone or the mic cord. I'm going to have to take it somewhere to get it tested and see what the hell's going on. Or the machine that I use to record my podcasts, the um, the second input for the XLR is fucked, and it's not receiving any signal. So I just had, two days ago, an incredible conversation with David Huntsberger. That is after the first conversation we had where one of the mics was shorting out the entire time, the one that he was using, and uh, might, be, might be the same mic that I was using for the podcast we just did because no sound came through. So the conversation, that podcast is literally only hearing David's voice, and, and you can barely hear mine. I might just post it because I really, really, really enjoyed that conversation. I'm really fucking pissed that the microphones fucked up and didn't work and I didn't check it right and I feel like uh, I feel like an ass I feel like an ass and a hole so you know what that makes whole ass I feel like a whole ass son of a bitch uh, and that's the second conversation I had with David that I can't use two completely different podcasts that I have to trash because my equipment got fucked and I also had uh, a conversation with a comedian uh, producer, writer named Beth Lapidus that I have to trash because the same fucking thing happened. 
you know, I'm going to listen to those two podcasts, the, the first one with David and the one with Beth, and see if there's anything salvageable. But for right now, I have this Matt Kirshen that's going to go up. I'm going to put Mike Kaplan up next week. Uh, God, I am fucking pissed. I am pissed about this microphone situation because I don't have any money. I know you guys know that. I don't have any money to buy new microphones. When I bought these microphones, I technically didn't really have the money to buy them. Ugh. Anyway, things are things. I've uh, been having a lot of different thoughts about a lot of different things. I, I have been facing this depression head on, um, writing jokes about it. The one thesis that I have, not thesis, but just like a an idea that I've been exploring and I think it's really true for me is uh, I found out that I am depressed and I am more racist than ever. Let me explain. Um, this is the United States of America. This place was settled by Europeans who killed the brown people that were here. And um, they also imported and brought with them their uh, European ideals and standards for beauty, standards for how society is supposed to work, rules, laws, um, just all the most prevalent ideas in how America works are based in some sort of European philosophy, some European form of government and governing and governance, which dates back to probably Rome as well as ancient Greece and uh, and in England, of course, England, because that's who came here, the British. And um, those things don't work for me. I'm not any of those things. I am not descended from Rome or Greece or England. I am from the continent of Africa. And so when people tell me that I'm supposed to go get some therapy, which I'm not opposed to, but I kind of go, well, what is therapy going to do for me? Because it's based on a European understanding of the brain. Okay, all therapy, all psychology is a European science. We just call it psychology. We just call it science. And we call something that the Chinese believe Eastern science, Eastern psychology. So we have to qualify that theirs is different than ours and ours is the version of it. And I don't necessarily believe that. I believe that those things that you, that understanding of the brain that understanding of the emotions and how they work together and how a society is supposed to be and how a person is supposed to work in that society uh, might not appeal to me at all because these are the exact things that have made me depressed <laughs> these are the exact things the exact ideas that have made me feel just awful for so long and it's the first time in my life that I've ever understood from in a visceral sense what it means to be black in America. I've always known in a in a surface way, you know, but like I didn't see the long game, if you will, growing up in the neighborhood that I grew up in the in the people that I knew and the way I've been treated and the way I've been addressed and the way I've been told I'm supposed to change and everything I'm supposed to be or not be based upon my race compared to a white ideal, a Eurocentric ideal, has just been stabbing me in the brain and the heart for my entire life. And I didn't know. And that's not to say that I hate white people. I don't like them as a concept. <laughs> I love white persons. Like there are people who I feel are the most important, instrumental, special people in my life that I love dearly that are white. But white people as a concept, I could do without. Is that weird to say? That's what I'm saying. I'm more racist than ever. 
So, and I, and there are plenty of white people that are, you know, and, and, and to the white people that are up there that are like, that hate that you're white, to you, I say kudos. I, to those of you that are taking yoga and capoeira and Brazilian dance and are, are having sex and marrying people of color, having sex with and marrying people of color, you're fighting the good fight. And it is you that will deliver your race from the furnace. Little dramatic and hyperbolic? Why, yes, it is. But these are the kinds of shits that I've been thinking about. Anyway, I'm really upset about this fucking podcast situation. Really upset about it. But that's the thing, like, so when people say that, oh, you know, you need to go to therapy, like I said, I don't discount it, but as a friend of mine said to me the other day, the master's tools don't necessarily dismantle the master's house. So it's like if I have been beat down to feel and think of myself in a certain way, then why would I go to the people and the ways that those people teach themselves to rise above their situation? Why would I go to the people that put me in the situation to help me get out of the situation? So I've gotten more and more and more curious, and some of you have heard me intimate to it and talk about it in dulcet tones. Um, I've gotten more and more curious about the ways people have dealt with these things that have nothing to do with some sort of pre-Freudian, post-Freudian, or Freudian idea of psychology, which still all three of those things are very European. Freud is a German cokehead who fucking hated people, and we're basing so much science on the things that he discovered about the brain at a very specific time in the, in the world that was filled with stress and anxiety. Brand new things from a society that we had invented from cultures and, and ideas and governing governance and capitalism that we invented, and we're like, shit, we invented a lot of fucked up shit, and we all feel fucked up about it. We got to figure out a way to feel less fucked up about the fucked up shit that we're doing all the time. And then, of course, there are people before Freud and after Freud that reject his shit, that contradict it, and other forms of science and thinking about psychology is based on that. But again, but again, but again, it's all Eurocentric. And it makes me, it turns me off. And, God, and if people didn't talk about therapy like church, I might be more inclined to go to it. People are people have gotten religious about their therapy, and people are saying, "Oh, you should go see a therapist. You go, you should go see a therapist." A hundred years ago, you should go see the minister. You should go see a priest about that. It's the same sort of veracity and certainty that this person is going to fix it. You know, a hundred years ago, oh, they got the Bible. That's a really important book, and now people are going like, "Well, the Bible. That's a really old book. This book, however, is only ten years old, and I know the guy who wrote it. Go see him." Um. So that's how I feel about all that shit. Some of it's jokes, or will become jokes, I mean to say. Some of it's funny. I don't even know. It's all tragedy to me, in a sense. I feel chipper, though. That's the irony, is that I kind of see, of course I feel this way. Of course I feel shitty. What, what am I talking about? Of course I feel this fucking way. What am I, how can I not feel this way in this world that we've created? How can anyone not always feel this way? Basically, depression is when you're depressed, and I, I can't speak to clinical depression, 
I might be clinical dep- clinically depressed. I haven't gotten diagnosed. I doubt it, but I think I exist in a, and I think I exist in this place of depression and malaise that most people have, like that white noise, that static that's just kind of in the back of your brain. That's just kind of it's just always present in everything that you do. I think that's very normal for a lot of people in this country. And to that, I can say, how else are we supposed to feel when we have built a system, we have built a culture based on us feeling like shit so we continue to buy things, and then people are surprised? Studies coming out every single day about how your stress and anxiety is killing you faster, yet all of us go, well, how can I not be stressed and anxious? I still have to go to work. I still have to pay these bills. I still have to eat this crap food. I still have to find some modicum of happiness on my television, in my video game system, on my cell phone, in Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. How are we not supposed to feel this way is my question. And I guess in a sense, knowing that releases it for me in a big way because I'm no longer taking it on my personal self that is my personal problem that I personally need to personally fix. It's a bigger problem than just me. And now that I feel aware of that, it helps me deal with it. It helps me go like, okay. It helps me see I have an option. I'm not just bad chemically. I'm not just bad psychologically. I've been trained. We're all being trained to be monkeys of depression, essentially, sitting on top of a box that someone is pulling a crank, turning it around, singing a song. It's playing a song of, you're going to be successful and wealthy, trust me. And we're all dancing to that song like like it's going to work out for us. <laughs> I sound like a madman right now. But I feel like I have clarity for the first time in a long time. So, um yeah, I guess the thing is that like me knowing that I'm me knowing these things, being aware of it makes me detach from it. It makes me go like I have a choice. I don't have to feel bad. I don't have to feel defeated. I don't have to feel negative and and under these things. I can rise above them. And they're sinister and they're everywhere and they're different shapes and sizes. It's it's big as you know, as it's as big as someone's trying to kill you and it's as small as you just being told you're not pretty. Because you're not a certain shade or body type. That shit gets to you. It's Chinese water torture, right? Just a little drip, a little drip forever will erode a mountain. But that's a big thing. I feel like it's like um, when you're depressed, it's kind of like get back to work. That's what everyone's trying to say. It's only a problem because it's in the way of you making money for someone else or yourself. Get back to work. Anything that you do that that is in the way of you getting back to work is deemed weird and unlawful and abnormal, and you need to go to therapy to deal with that because you just need to get back to work. If 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 you if you something's in the way of you getting back to work, oh my god, that's why when people like workaholism is a real thing. That's a real problem that real people really deal with, and it destroys their lives. But it has work in it, so it's not really that bad. If you get addicted to sex, drugs, alcohol, 
that's bad because that gets in the way of you getting back to work. Oh, you're a workaholic? That's cute. It's cute for people to say that in a job interview. Oh, I'm a workaholic. Really? That's actually destroyed people's lives. Real people have lost their families and friends and lives. Literally, their very existence has eroded and been destroyed because they're workaholics. And you think it's cute to say that so you can have a job at Taco Bell? Okay. All right. But uh, this is getting deep. This is some shit right now. Am I right? It's deep shit, son. Anyway, point is, we're all supposed to get back to work and anything that gets in the way of it, we're, we're told is something that's wrong with us. Not work. Something is wrong with us that we need to figure out what's wrong with us so we can get back to work because getting back to work is what life is all about. So when you feel that you can't get back to work, it must be something that's wrong with you. And we all take it upon ourselves, and I take it upon myself. Oh, no, what can I do? What did I do? What should I do so I can get back to work? Maybe something's wrong with work. Maybe something is wrong with everybody saying you need to get back to work. And now that I see that, I can get back to work. (laughs) Weirdly, because I know that life is more than work. And I know that life is more than me being like what's wrong with me that I can't get back to work anyway I would like to uh, give a a sincere thanks to marijuana for a lot of these realizations here's Matt Kirshen I struggle with it more than most or whether I just am more aware of it but it's definitely something that's always at the top of my mind um uh ooh, hang on I, no problem I need to. do your thing I'm keeping all of this <laughs> you could probably hear the vibration of Matt Kirshen's phone right now I know this he, is kind of closely connected to what, we, what we're going to talk about he is feverishly texting um weirdly not vertical. I mean, he's got it vertical instead of horizontal, so he doesn't have his phone wide, so he's texting on the really narrow screen. We're talking iPhone metrics here right now. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm quite a speedy texter. I don't doubt I it. fast thumbs. But there are people who are listening that have Samsung phones and probably swipe, and they're just like, ugh, iPhone texting. It's the lowest of the lowest of the forms. <laughs> Did you know, apparently, um, the modern generation, the younger generation, is more likely to... Like the thumb has taken over from the index finger as the main pushing finger. That makes sense. So, uh, like, whereas I would probably ring a doorbell with my index finger, a twenty-year-old would use the thumb. That makes total sense. Oh my god, that's so strange. Because of texting and video games. Yep, texting video games. The thumb, the thumbs become the dominant poking digit. Ooh, thank God we got that opposable thumb. This right? is what evolution was aiming towards. This is a who knew? That's that's what's amazing about evolution. There's no way when. When Darwin was first making humans evolve from apes in the 1800s. Yeah, which Darwin totally did. Uh, who knew? With, through the use of alchemy. Through the use of alchemy and, and book learning and sailing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, who knew that one day ease of use of right. smartphones would be the solution? Would be I the, remember because he went the to the result. Galapagos Islands and then he came back with a bunch of humans that were monkeys before he got to the islands. Right, and, and he's like, and everyone was like, 
there's no way you can turn those hum- those monkeys into humans. And he's like, just watch me. He's like, survival of the fittest. Set a course for the island, skipper. <laughs> They're like, that's not your quote. He's like, I say it anyway. I say it anyway. <laughs> sure, an economist said it in Victorian England because of a crazy rampant like capitalist system in which people were being swindled left and right. But whatever, so I yeah. still use it. I well, he was it. like, that guy was specifically like, he would set long distance races and then cull anyone who didn't come in under a certain time. <laughs> totally makes sense. And the tagline for that particular race was survival of, of the fittest. Oh, You're the first um, person from the UK I've had on this podcast. Right. Uh, 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 an English speaker that is an American. Uh, I'm flattered. <laughs> Will Anderson is uh, lined up at some point, but he's right. going to have his weird uh, penal colony accent. Yeah, he's got the uh, he's got what my my accent would be with a little bit more relaxed, laid back, sunshine, and uh, avoiding shivs. Yep, to the point where you're free, and then you're just hanging out with koalas all the time. Yeah, well, every everyone in Australia, I think, still knows how to sharpen a toothbrush. Yeah, that makes sense. And... That's not a knife, bitch. Yeah. I can't do it. Um, so you went to school for maths. Yes. What did you Thanks go to school? for pluralizing it. Well, I know that that's a thing, right? Yeah. Maths. 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 Where did you go to school again? I went to Cambridge. Cambridge. Yep. Now, this ties into, obviously, what we're talking about. Work ethic. And, because yeah. I would assume that going to a prestigious university like Cambridge and um, studying numbers, uh-huh. which math is stru- nothing but structure. Yep. It is structured. There is a way for this problem to be solved. It might take us forever to figure it out, but it exists. Yeah, or uh, although actually, technically, there are there are some problems that can't be solved. Right, but, but then, you can get down to a certain. But then place. you can prove. But then there are certain ways that you can prove that they can't be solved. So they get yeah, it gets into all that kind of stuff, which is a weird solution in itself. It is, it is. like that. That kind of stuff is pretty interesting but But. my my point is that it's a it's a it's a a system of study that uh that that basically has a lot of like uh strenuous work and process and getting things done yeah like there's a there's a clear way to make things happen it's it's cumulative as well like it's Mm -hmm. cumulative knowledge which is actually what screwed me up which is one of the things we might get into in this show is uh uh i failed my second year and should have been thrown out like i managed to talk my way back in and that's the beginning of stand up for you. But uh, <laughs> yeah, kind of like that. That's, that should have been a sign at that point that mate. That was the clear, better bullshitter than than the mathematician, maybe. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think I was a better bullshitter than they were, but I was better at bullshitting than I was at solving at proving theorems. Um, but uh, but it's it's cumulative. Like it's a cumulative subject, which became a real problem because I got really behind on my work and. You know, if you're an English major and you fail a couple of the courses, like if you fail the modern poetry course, you can still do Shakespearean tragedies and follow that. Right. But um, prose, something that has nothing to do with poetry. Yeah, you could you can still you could even probably still follow Shakespeare 201 if you haven't done Shakespeare 101 or whatever. Right. But. But with math, you have if to have done you this haven't amount of work. done the first year um, mm. group theory course. You are not going to be able to understand. Like, my second year exam, I've never had this experience before in my life, and I hope I never will again. Of You know those sort of nightmares that you have about, like, do you ever have, like, a, a an exam nightmare or, a uh, like, a school night? 
like one of those yeah one of those common ones where it's like it, yeah it's an anxiety dream apart from the fact that i was apart from the fact that i was wearing clothes <laughs> like it was my exam was basically that like i sat down in front of that in mm. front the first of those papers and i was so behind on the work the the questions said like the questions would be something like state and prove the something something theorem that's like the sort of standard format for a qu- for one of those uh questions and i wouldn't know what the theorem was Ooh. like it it would like not only did i not know how to answer the question i didn't even know what the question was asking it'd be like an again it'd be like an english major being asked to write um an analysis of one particular character's motivations in a book where they don't they hadn't read it they don't even know what genre the book is mm. like they don't not only they don't know what they don't know whether that character is a man, a woman, a cat. They're not even sure what a book is. Yeah, like that was the <laughs> level of like that was the level of and because because some of it was I I not coasted, but I I I I had comfortable ride of high school mathematics. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I was I'm I was good at it. I was good enough at it to get into a good university to do to study to it. to study it. Yeah. Um, to major in it, but a lot of it, yeah. Uh, well, in Britain, in Britain as well, you don't major in a subject; you actually pick your course before you go to university. Oh, okay. So we, um, I think we specialize earlier in British colleges, right? Because so, you guys are you guys are a little bit more based well, on the on the Latin system of university as opposed to the German system, like American colleges. Is that, is that what it is? That's what I was told. Like it's the tutor system. Uh, yeah, there's that going on, and there's but there's also like by the time you get to um your final two years of of high school. Mm-hmm. Like seventeen, eighteen, you're working towards your A levels, and your A levels, you'll only do three or four subjects. Oh, okay. So by the time I'd got, by the time I was eighteen at school, I was already only doing physics, chemistry, so in, math. In high school, you specialize, and then that's what's going to. Yeah. So by high school, you've pared it down to like a few specializations, mm. and and then you apply to do a specific. You don't just apply to college; you apply to do a specific course at that university. Yeah, so we're, I we're very much you have to know math- a, you have to know a little bit about everything before you get to yeah, specialize. Yeah, and there's something to be said for that. Like I I didn't have to do I didn't I hadn't writ the last essay I had to write at school was mm-hmm. age 16. Beautiful. I didn't have to do any languages past 16. I didn't have to do any um any uh, humanities. I didn't have to it, it was like because of the subjects I picked, I just picked hard science and mathematics yeah that that's, was what I that's was probably the at. last time i wrote a paper too i was supposed to right but i just didn't right <laughs> i was like 16 i'm done i'll fail these english classes continue though um, so you had specialized we're heading towards college for maths yes all right um so you're talking he- about your exam so he- yeah okay. so so I was heading towards that. And by, by the way, also, like, I had to, I went to university a year later than I was originally going to because I, ha- I had to get straight A's to get into Cambridge. And I missed one of my my chemistry. I like I got a B in my further math course. I got a B I got on that. And then I had, I retook it the next year. And that, again, was just through lack of, like, lack of motivation, lack okay. of work. Okay. So there was a pattern. Like, it was like, found it easy, coasted, suddenly realized that it got hard didn't notice that creeping up on me mm. so that screwed me up getting into university and then by the second year of my my university class like i was my first two semesters first two terms i i attended the lectures and then somewhere around the third one i just stopped going to those lectures what uh, do you mean you stopped you just were like just stop going did did you have a thought process of like you know I'm not, i don't need to go to these or you just just didn't want i was to. rationalizing with i'll catch up on the work or uh i'll get mm. the notes off a friend 
well, what were you distracting yourself with as opposed to going to I the I don't lectures? even know. <laughs> that's what get, that's what gets me. That's what gets me about any like even today my procrastination when I'm procrastinating like what oh you're meant to have written that thing or meant to have got this done. What did you do today instead? Nothing. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I just well, st- do you stare at my hand for a while? Do you worry? Do you stress? I do worry. So maybe because I I do similar things where it's like I will sit here and think about the things I should be doing. Yeah. And strategizing how I'm going to be doing them. But then I've done that for a couple of hours. Oh, well, there's no no work has actually been done. I've just been thinking about doing the work. Oh no, I don't do that. I I'm more like oh, I need to get started on this at some point. Um and and so I remember reading recently I, I read a thing about saying find the easiest bit of that task and just start because starting is the hardest bit. Yes, yes. And sometimes there's been there was something I had to write about three weeks ago and I left it until the very last minute. Mm-hmm. I had like weeks to do it. Right. Uh, left it till the very last minute and and I just it was I don't know I just had this mental block and then I just started on a, on the, a bit in the middle of it and suddenly went oh this is actually coming really easily this is actually this isn't hard writing at all and it right. it flowed out um but getting that started and and i remember working absolutely working I... out with university if i had literally done um like an hour of concerted work a day mm-hmm. it would have been easy because there were the lectures that you ha- and the classes that you had to be at or the classes that you had to be at the lectures i skipped quite a bit <laughs> but um uh the the classes do you need the text yep yep do I'm it just... do it Go ahead. See, this is a perfect example. This but what, like, what, what's, it the, what's it an example of? Uh, distraction. Distract, shiny thing. Shiny <laughs> thing. But is it a text you need to send or is it just you're just... This is one that I do need to send. See, there you go. That's fine. Do your thing, Maddie, Maddie, Kirsch, Kirsch. Can uh, I call you Maddie, Maddie, Kirsch, Kirsch? You can call me whatever you like. I'm not going to call you that. It's awful. But as you were I'm saying... I'm kind of disappointing now. It's out there as a possibility that you're taking Maddie, it away. Maddie, Maddie, Kirsch, Kirsch. That's <laughs> <laughs> horrible. <laughs> But as you were saying, it's got the rhythm of chitty chitty bang bang. I wonder if that exactly. That's exactly what I was going for, Matt. England, yeah, musicals, (laughs) music is math. I'm bullshitting, but still, music. You sound you sound at that point like one of those like the cool teacher from the films. Music is math. Yeah, exactly. Um, But you were saying Shakespeare was a bit like Tupac, guys. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean you can make that argument. and we should point out to your listeners, you're currently sat uh, on a chair turned around backwards. Yeah, that's right. I'm, I am. It's a dangerous minds uh, scene from Dangerous Minds right now. Um, but you were saying you were getting a, a pattern was being established about of procrastination. Yeah, and it, it's like it it does it does worry me. Like there's there's a point where I think I wonder how much that is innate. Like work ethic is innate to people. In the same way that, like, I, the way my brain happens to work, mm-hmm. I f- found a certain level of math problem and, and scientific understanding uh, pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Like, up to a point. And then, that, I mean, one of the things that university gave me was, like, the, you, because, because mathematics is so set and it's so, like, you understand this or you don't understand this, you reach a plateau, like, you reach a level. Which is really interesting. Would you mo- no longer understand? Yeah, it, like everyone, huh. everyone. I think everyone hits a level that it's, and some people, and obviously you can do stuff to get past that level, and good teachers can help you past it. But you, but it, that like, level is very creative and conceptual, though, isn't oh, it? Oh, absolutely. But um, but you know, some people hit that bar around high school and go like, I don't understand this at all. 
Which uh, is what I did. Right. I used to be very good at math. I used to tutor math, and there was just the point where I stopped listening. And you stopped. Yeah. And it's, uh, and maybe with some hard thought, you could you could understand it. I'm sure, like the level I got to with my understanding of it, I'm sure I could have got further. Well, I, but I, I but I'd never be as in understanding anymore. Right. But I know I would never ha- I would never be good enough to understand it as deeply as someone like Andrew Wiles, for example, who was the guy who proved Fermat's last theorem. Um, Andrew Wilde. Wiles. Uh, Wiles. Oh, oh, W-I-L-E-S? Yes. Yeah, 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 okay. I that was about, I read about that. Yeah, about 15 years ago, so he proved Fermat's last theorem, which is this long-standing... Right, right. I remember reading that. that it, and it's, it's always it's been a really fascinating thing for mathematicians in general because the theorem is incredibly simple to state. It's incredibly easy to understand. For, for your listeners, the ones who don't know it, it's basically... Um, you know how when you've got Pythagoras' theorem and you're learning that in school? That's a squared you, plus b squared, squared equals c squared. C squared. Yeah. And you find out that there are various really simple whole number solutions. So like um, th- the simplest of those is 3 squared plus 4 squared equals 5 squared. Right. So a th- you can get a 3, 4, 5 triangle and there's a 1, 12, 13. Right. Uh, but it turns out if it's a cubed plus b cubed equals c cubed or a to the power of 4 plus b to the power of 4 plus c to the power of 4 in fact or for in fact for anything that where the power is higher than 2 there are no whole number solutions there's no integer solutions hmm. is okay. so you can never find like whole number to the power of 6 plus another whole number to the power of 6 equals a equals a whole number to the power of 6 okay, it, ne- yeah. it doesn't work out and Fermat proposed that and he claimed like he famously wrote uh in the margins of his of his book, I have a solution to the. I have a solution to this. The margin is too big to contain, or too sorry, too small to contain. So he claimed he wrote a note in one of his books. So he claimed that he had this solution. Uh, huh. So he claimed that he had this proof, and and mathematicians for because centuries well, no have been tra- yeah, which he never wrote down. And so for centuries, people have been trying to find this proof, and it's still interesting because the proof that Andrew Wiles found, he finally proved it in uh in the late nineties that. Could not be the proof that for, if Fermat did have a proof, it's not Andrew Wells' one because Andrew Wells used some really complicated modern mathematical techniques that have only existed. Like, so, so, so essentially, um, is it Fermat? Is it Fermat or Fermat? Well, it's French, so Fermat. Fermat. <laughs> so, but so you're saying that basically this guy proved it, but he proved it with modern. He proved it math. with, yeah, super... Where, so, so Fermat must have had something even simpler Yeah, except he probably didn't. Like, there are, there are, there are fairly simple proofs um, for certain values. Because there's been the whole worlds of math yeah. since Fermat till now. Yeah, to the point that it's now impossible. Like, there's no mathematician who would know everything. Right, right, right. Interesting. Okay, uh, but I remember it being news. I mean, I didn't obviously I didn't understand what it was about. Yeah, but I remember seeing it like guy proves this right, and I'm like, oh, that's something important. Yeah, it was in the super world of famous math. theorem, and there was there were prize like, like there were prize funds for it. There's a lot of um big theories in math where there are prize. Someone set up these prize funds. Hmm. Like you can get a million dollars if you if you can solve this this very famous this problem. very famous problem or prove this problem or whatever. Um, wow. So I, w- I would never be as good as that guy. Like, there's no amount of work that I could ever m- put in where I would have the understanding of mathematics that he has. Mm-hmm. So, you, so you have these discrete levels of understanding. Um, and that, and that's, a, that's an inbuilt... That's something inbuilt in my brain. Like, I, I will never... In the same way, I will... 
I can jump a certain height. If I if I train, if I start learning how to jump more and I start working out the right way that jump that professional athletes do, mm-hmm. I would increase the height to which I can jump, but I would never hit a world record level. Well, and are you saying that's because it's it's due to your size? Yeah, due to my size, your due frame to my, that you that's just my, a certain threshold. Due to my that... frame and due to whatever the way my my muscular cells are arranged or whatever. There's there, a certain threshold that there's you a certain pass. threshold that I would not be able to pass. And you're saying that's true mentally, and as I think well. that's true mentally. And mm. but the thing that worries me, the thing that makes me nervous is, like I know, for example, with mathematics, my threshold was higher than I than the average population. It was what I it was what came easiest to me at school, and I was able to pursue it at a university level. Mm-hmm. Um. But obviously, some, but still not, still not as high as you know the really great guys, like the really good guys. But I was good at it, right? So I know I had that. But my so like is, on the on the team of math sports, yeah, you wouldn't be in the first draft, but I, you'd be a good like utility player. I'd be a good club player. Okay, yeah, I might not play for the country, but I'd be a good player. But I'd be a, <laughs> okay. but I, but I'd be a, I, you know, I could play like a minor league club like that. I could. This is now. This is now soccer analogy. Right. Just, just for people who are American or, that or don't any know other what sport. The hell I was actually about. minor leagues more American sports, but like I, yeah. yeah. So you'd be really good at the minor leagues, but not the majors. I'd be all right at the minor leagues. That right. that that was one thing that going to a good university taught me, and it's a good training for you for comedy later. Mm-hmm. I think everyone should experience at some point in their life going from going from the best best to average. Because at my school, like I was top of the class, or, or like joint top of the class. There were a few of us in the in the year who all went on to. Oxford or Cambridge and did mathematics. It just happened that way. Right. But that we, one of us was always top of the class and the others weren't far behind. And then I went to Cambridge and just became instantly mediocre. <laughs> like on my first day, my first day enrolling there, you like, oh, cause everyone here was top of their class. And right. some of these guys were really top of their class. Whereas I, well, you know, here's another thing, Matt, and this is a bigger, I, cause I, I'm very interested in just the cultural ideas yeah, you know, because I'm a big fan of British television and uh-huh. film, and I have done a little study into why it exists in the way it does, as opposed to American, the American system. Yep, right. Series versus seasons, etc., uh-huh. etc. So that's just a term. Well, it's not quite just a terminology because I guess your seasons run for much longer than our series. Well, because that's not it's not the it's not the priority of British television no. to have a show that will make money forever. Well, yeah, because because the in American TV, the upfront costs are so much higher. Yeah, like British the, British TV the... costs substantially less to make in the first place, so they don't need to get a hundred episodes and syndication out exactly. of it to recoup their costs. So, but but that that the market yep. dictates what happens creatively uh-huh. because in any t- American television situation, when you're pitching a show, essentially you're going and here's an idea that could be on forever, right? Whereas in England, they're not doing that as much. That's right? true, but there's also what you just said. I think is a. I wonder, as a British person, just because of what you guys are culturally. Yeah, you guys don't have the obsession with fame and wealth that Americans, on the whole, tend to have. Um, because let me finish, and you can disagree. Because you say it's useful to go from being the top of the heap, a big fish in a little pond, to suddenly being a small fish in a gigantic pond. Yeah, I feel like Americans. Do not do well with that. 
I feel like, especially being in LA and New York, having lived in both of these cities where people are the top of their fucking Right, and you started off. Did you start comedy in Boston? I started in Boston, which is a great comedy scene, but a much small, yes. but a small scene. Yes, but I also, I was, I only did it in like for like a year and a half right. in Boston before I moved to New York. And then you moved to New York, and suddenly you're like, oh, Louis C.K. and Bill Burr, and and then you, yeah, crazy. you come to you come to L.A. and it's the same thing. It's just yeah. kind of like you're going to share stages with some of literally the best comedians alive. Yeah, you know, I had to follow Chris Rock in New York. When he was hosting the Oscars, and he started <laughs> showing up to clubs, working out the material he was going to do on the Oscars. Right. And then he would just show up. And I remember the first night, it was literally this one club, three nights in a row he showed up. Tuesday, it was awesome. It was like, fucking Chris Rock is here. Wednesday, it was like, uh-oh, Chris Rock is here. And Thursday, it was like, I hope Chris Rock doesn't show up. <laughs> oh, fuck, Chris Rock's here. I have to go after him? But uh, no, I can't go after Chris. Okay. But you, so, have to, you have to step it up. I, but I feel like it's just like for us, we, we just – our egos are more fragile. You know, we, I, I think that we – it's an American thing. The American dream is we're going to win the lottery. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to win the lottery and everything's going to work out. I have, I have this – I have a theory, and we, we're getting way off topic, but then we've got loads of time to get back. But I, ha, I, I have a theory that the American dream mm-hmm. is one of the most harmful things for America. Oh, yeah, definitely. I oh, think, you're not the only person that thinks that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I, I think it's uh, this idea that – this idea that anyone can can suddenly go from nothing to huge mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in any walk of life. You can suddenly go from poverty to riches. You can go from obscurity to fame. Mm-hmm. This idea makes people act so against their self, their best interests. Oh, definitely. People vote. People vote for policies that will help them avoid having to pay a reasonable amount of tax when they're multimillionaires, and as a result stop themselves from ever becoming multimillionaires because yes. those policies are the things that will stop them from that from happening but that's the thing is that like they've been they're basically or uh, believe i'm going to be rich yeah so i want these things in place when i get there yeah it's like it's like they they want to pull the ladder up after them so no one else can follow but in the pro but actually end up burning that ladder before they're still at the bottom well you know <laughs> and i don't mean to necessarily uh, shit on a lot of the ideas. I just think that that like we're buying into our own shit too much sometimes, and that's yeah. why I said that like when someone goes, they he, we're so we're such self actualizers in this yeah. country that when things don't work out exactly in the way that we want them to, so a lot of people do not know how to deal with that. Right. It ruins them. The obsession of getting that thing and getting things that's the way I want them to idea, do. That's an interesting idea because I think Brits have inbuilt failure. Exactly. We you have know an what? inbuilt sense that it's going gonna, it's gonna to go to shit. And this is – I remember reasoning, re- reasoning. I read this interesting – it was a little essay by Ricky Gervais, and he was just talking about how he was a procrastinator. Yep. And he didn't really find his work ethic until his mid-30s. Yep. And now it's – that's what it is. That's why the office came late in his life, like all this stuff. And he said that. It's because as an English person, we're just kind of taught it's not going to really happen for you. You keep your head down. Keep your head down. It's not really going to work out for you. And mustn't that's grumble. The... That's an expression that could only exist in Britain. What's it called? Mustn't grumble. Oh, M- mustn't grumble. Mustn't. How, how you know? Oh, mustn't grumble. Hey now, mustn't <laughs> grumble. Mustn't. Oh, interesting. It's... Okay. I've never heard that. But uh, it makes total sense. It's, it's the most, it's, it's the British attitude encapsulated in two words. And those are the two, and I feel like the British office... In the American office uh-huh. are the perfect examples of the differences between our countries. Go on. Because 
The British Office, which I love, is one of my favorite TV shows of all time. Right. First of all, Greg Daniels, who created The American Office, specifically said, all we did was take out the sadness. There is a sadness in the British office that is not in the American office. The British office, it's a shitty town called Slough. And it's like which is a real place that quite a lot of people live in. (laughs) But but the the (laughs) attitude iconic, yeah. The the attitude of the everyone in the show is I live in a shitty town, I have a shitty job, might as well make the most of it. This is this is the best I'm gonna do. The American office is we're all gonna get promoted, we're all gonna move out of Scranton, we're gonna win the lottery. We're the best at this, and yep. we're going to become even better. That's the ad, that's the inherent attitude. Yeah, that's a good point. Between the ideas of the shows, so when you say that, it's just I see it as like a. It's interesting that for the Br- British people are better at being humble than we are, and we're least, better at being arrogant, or at least false humility. Because I, I think that's something that Americans get criticized by Brits for for being arrogant, but I think a lot of it is aspirational rather than arrogance, and a lot of it is. Like British people have that arrogance, mm-hmm. but it's it's not done to express it. Like you can't express ambition in Britain, right? Okay, it's not. Now you can have ambition, but you you can never let that be known. Yeah. Whereas we are always like, I'm the best at this. Yeah. Like you watch any reality show, and it's just kind of like, I'm good. Everyone else sucks. Don't get it. Don't get it. Yep. I'm here to win. I didn't come to make friends, etc. There's, et there's some quite a few little youtube videos where someone's taken a large number of i don't come here to, i didn't come here to make friends and just Which strung just, them together that seems like such an american thing now here's like, i don't come here to make friends i didn't come here to make friends you think i came here to make, make friends? friends i didn't <laughs> I, and this is where it all kind of ties together with me because i feel like in terms of your work work ethic yeah your work ethic is informed by being a person that was born and raised in england you have those ideals, and yep. now you're in a completely different country. But here, here, here we. This is what I was getting to a while ago, okay. and then we, and then I, we got. I say we got. I sidetracked us, but um, my worry is, is my work ethic or occasional lack thereof, mm-hmm. as built into as built into me, and as much of a fixed limit as my mathematical ability or my jumping ability. Mm-hmm. Like is. Is that drive um, as much uh, of an inherent uh, part of me? And in the same way, and and if so, you mean your sh- lack of work ethic. Yeah, lack of. You There's know, only do, so far you does can go. Does everyone have like an inbuilt work ethic? Which again, you can probably you can affect in certain ways. You know, you can get better. You can get better than your or worse than your natural limit at mathematics by working at it. You can. Mm-hmm. You can jump higher or jump not as high, depending on how much exercise you do in that field. But I will, I will never reach an Olympic high jumping target, uh, no matter how hard I try. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering whether, like, no matter how much I do exercises to change my work ethic, it'll I'll never be as driven as someone like, like I'm sure Obama, for example. Like, it, you don't get to be president unless you have this crazy drive and single minded determination. Like, no mm-hmm. one who achieves to that level like won't have that inbuilt in them. I'm wondering whether that is as much of a fixed thing. And I I know there's some studies that suggest that to an extent that is the case. I was reading um 
for our podcast. We do the science podcast, and uh, right, probably science. That's the one which you've appeared on a couple of times. Yes, and um, with Matt Kirsch and Andy Wood and, uh, and Jesse Case. Is Jesse now. Case now. Uh, for, for you have lost Brooks Whelan to Saturday Night Live. We have. Yeah, our original co-host disappeared <laughs> off to New York to be on on TV on a weekly basis. To be on, to be on. We're like. Really, you picked that over us? Kind of, kind of disappointing. Ah, um, white guys, am I right? Yeah, <laughs> can't trust them. Can't trust them. Can't trust them. Can't can't live with them. Can't have a country without them. If they're not a, uh, if they're not selling, if they're not making up deeds to buy land that never previously had ownership there, <laughs> they go to that, New York oh, to be on that SNL. Old Eddie Azard bit, just like uh, the you should. We we took over land with, just with flags. Yeah, this is like, uh, do you do you have a flag? <laughs> no, well, now no flag, no country. That is the rule I just made up. It's great. It's a great bit, and it, it, there's there's a lot of truth. That you know, showing up to places where if they have no concept of land ownership and and contracts, you know, well, and it's exactly what he says. Like, it's like, so, oh, very interesting. But you have no 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 system of ownership. That'll be useful later. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but um, we we had this uh, uh author. I'm blanking on his name right now, but he wrote this book called The Sports Gene. Uh, David Epstein is his name. Okay. Uh, and he wrote this book called The Sports Gene that came out recently. Um, and he was he was examining... The book is essentially how much... It's the nature versus nurture debate in, spo- right, in, right, a, in sports. And it's a great book. I, I recommend it. Um, but one of the things he talks about is there have been various studies, like various sort of animal studies and uh, breeding studies, where it turns out work ethic and drive, certainly in animals, can be inherited. Like if you breed too hardworking i can't remember what exactly was were the tests that they did mm-hmm. but like m- mouse that would choose to run on a wheel for a ludicrous amount of time whatever and if you breed two of them together yeah the offspring is even more has even more of this work ethic right and vice versa with the ones that have lack of work ethic hmm. okay i mean I, I guess the thing for me is that I, I i really think that we underestimate nurture we underestimate environment mm-hmm so it's like, for instance, jealousy, right, is a natural emotion, which constantly people want to tell me, right. But what's the opposite of jealousy? The opposite of jealousy is also natural. It's two sides to a coin. Everything has its opposite, but we're taught to experience one over the other. Uh-huh. So we start to see that as the superior. So while it's right to say this is my natural feeling, not feeling it. And feeling a completely different, maybe more positive, more constructive feeling in its place is also natural, but we have not been taught how to do that. Right. So I wonder if I posit this. You have a threshold of what your work ethic can be based on the systems that exist. You can only go so far in this world that we have created. Right. Because certain things are, have been deemed more, more desirable, more attainable. You know what I mean? I mean, it's it's a system, it's a system of metrics. So it's just kind of like these are the things that we can quantify. These these three I'm making up shit. But these three uh, elements, these three aspects, these are the things that if you are really good at these three, you're going to do really well in this world, right? But this is a world that is based on those three things being sought after and wanted. There are a lot of other elements. You know? Do you know Howard Gardner at all? I don't. Howard Gardner um, was the dean of the School of Education at Harvard. He mm-hmm. pioneered an idea, a book he wrote called Frames of Mind, The Theory of Multiple Intelligences. Okay. Now, some of these things are 
the uh, our ideas that are taught in like Montessori schools and alternative education stuff like that, in which you. He, he basically says, oh, there's all these different kinds of intelligences. Now, he, he gets more conceptual into it because he will say that something that would be looked at as ability is an intelligence. It's athletic intelligence, not athletic ability. Right. He would say that. Okay. That it's a physical intelligence because he wants to do away with what we have decided is intelligence, which is uh, the ability to basically regurgitate a lot of information that was told to us. Right. So he said that that's a that's a very specific kind of intelligence, but it's not the only one that should be rewarded. Yeah, and it's not it's often not a useful. It's not well. It can't. It depends. Uh, yeah, that's true. It depends on where you find yourself. That's true. But and he like, would and say there's definitely, there ha, I mean, there's definitely a correlation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. between intelligence and certain types of memory, exactly. like short term, long term, uh, mid term memory. Definitely correlate with intelligence well you know in the in the public school system at least in america is is basically based upon there are certain things that we're supposed to know that make us count as a human being (laughs) yeah well i've been experiencing this recently my my girlfriend has kids okay uh, and uh they're young teenagers and so she's much older than you no she just she was a slutty had them them at when she was young okay so uh no, she's she's just a year older than me, but she has the the eldest of her kids is fifteen. Um, oh, okay, all right. So, um, but the thirteen year old was uh was stuck on some math homework, and I I had a look at it, and 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 here's the thing, like the way like the way they teach them, like he had no understanding of why he was doing this stuff. Right. Like no no understanding. There's they were doing um like slope intercept. Solving like which, Cartesian planes, which, by the way, yeah. Which, by the way, I'd not even heard those. It's interesting. We have slightly different language for it in Britain, so I had to like look back and work out what it was the question was asking. But all it basically was saying is find the equation of of a straight line that goes through this point and is parallel to this line, okay, or perpendicular to this line. They were the two halves of the problems that he had to solve, right? And all he was doing and all he was learning was. Well, this thing's the gradient. This number here in the other equation is the gradient. So you take that number there, and you take these two coordinates there, and you put it into the formula. Uh, so that one becomes m, and this is y1, and this is x1. And then you put in, like, y minus y1 equals m x minus x1. And then and you put those numbers in, and then you rearrange it, and then you underline the thing that you get. Right. And that's your answer. Yeah. And you go, okay, so why is why why is why are you using that formula? I'm like, no idea. Like literally no idea. No idea. And I saw that and I I and I was like, oh, well that's why so many kids struggle immensely mm-hmm, mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. math and with science. And I'm not saying that um like the teacher was flawed, because I'm sure the teacher has a limited amount of time to get a group of well, the teacher has thirty been given, children. Yeah, she's been given this test. A syllabus, yeah, that has been discussed and approved by this board and that superintendent and the state. Yeah, that you have to teach them this amount of material in this amount of time, and we're going to test you. We're going right. to test all your students to see how how much they know it. So, Go. So I think I think that was I I was I had some good teachers when I was growing up, and mm-hmm. also I think I was in because I had a certain amount of natural ability. I was put into a good class. So the teacher knew that they could. Exp- the teachers knew they could explain things more. More loftier. But, so concepts. we would. Well, so we would. He would first of all talk. Start by exp- like talking about what the lines were and the equations were, and then we derive that formula and go. Okay, 
And now I know, okay, now I do y minus y1 equals mx minus x. Okay, well, here's what I mean again when, when I say that, like, I was told this when I was in Wait, England. That plays that, into your nurture. That plays into your nurture argument a lot more. Well, but I was told this when I was in England where it was just kind of like the British school system, especially the university system, is based more on, what, what, on Rome uh-huh. and, and Greece where it's like you had a tutor that basically asked you questions to, for you to, to tell them this is what I know and this is what is true, right? Rather than being told – Whereas having a professor who professes – this is the truth. A professor says in front of a class, these are the things that are. And now you tell me what I already know. Yeah, we, we had both. And there's definitely like if you – particularly if you look at like the old school systems or if you, if you look at um, like films that were set in old British schools, mm. there's definitely, a, there's definitely a, a decent amount as well of like the teacher Rinse in the front of the class going yeah. like, write this down, boys. Uh, but but you're saying that you learned a little bit more of the context of what this whole thing was. Yeah, which is crucial. Whereas we're just why... kind of then like, you have to know this. That's all we're told. But, I'm, but there's, I think there's a lot of that in British schools as well. I don't think that's necessarily a transatlantic thing. I think I just lucked out with some good teachers in a good school. Mm-hmm. Um, but because uh, I'm sure, particularly again in like certain. Well, it's so it's and, and being a teacher is fucking shitty. It, I mean, it's an underappreciated thing. Oh, hugely so. And it's, it's like such... they're not. Teachers in a lot, they're not made to feel like anything they do matters because they have very little control yeah. when it comes down to it on how it is that they're going to educate these children. That's why some people opt for the Montessori schools or like the, all, all these yeah. alternative educations. And I, I fully – I get that because I don't think at the end of this year Aiden, who, who's Nicole's kid – is gonna like even the stuff that I worked on him, worked with him on mm-hmm. that I helped him through, mm-hmm. and I got to the point where he was solving the problems by himself, but he still didn't have a deeper understanding. There's no context, and still, like in a week's time, when your memory of that specific technique has faded because it's not been reinforced through re- repetition, mm-hmm. he will have no understanding or knowledge of, like he he will not know why he the quintessential or, or how to do that. He won't understand. He he won't have any more understanding of this thing so it has effectively been useless that class that entire math course has for his future brain state has has zero effect other than just taught taught him this is a thing that i find difficult and that's the quintessential student question which is why do i need to know this yeah and i've never heard well that's not true of course there are good teachers like i had in my life as well but the majority of teachers the best answer they can come up with is because because <laughs> because you're supposed to because yeah th- because this because this proves to potential future colleges and future employees exactly. employers that you have a brain that is able to do this kind that's of able thing to do this you will have a college degree which will show someone that you are you have the skill set that you can fold a few clothes yeah i've heard <laughs> i've heard it said quite a few times and i think there's some truth in it i found statistics i found the least enjoyable of the branches of mathematics when i was when i was doing it personally i like i don't know it just appealed to me the, the the actual techniques of it appealed to me the least but i think i think it is right that schools should be teaching statistics over calculus like you mm. learn you learn algebra like you learn algebra and then you start learning calculus yeah uh, like which is more complicated i feel like i remember it was like it was algebra then geometry right then we had the option for st- trigonometry yes or statistics well you sort of need 
statistics and calculations. You need geometry like. and trigonometry for calculus to make sense. Because, yes. Uh, but, um, or at least you do it, again, you do if you're deriving it from first principles, but if you're just learning, plug it into that formula and you get the answer, then you don't. But that, again, that's what, we're back to that again. Uh, but statistics, um, statistics are really important in everyday life. Statistics are important for your understanding of the world and so many political debates and debates about global warming. Like, the the global warming deniers would have a much harder job spreading their bullshit if everyone had... Understood a, statistics. If everyone had a decent working <laughs> knowledge of statistics. Yeah, because... Because, well, okay, I see those numbers, but who is it that you asked? How many people? Yeah, what because, part of the country? Because if everyone was able to, or if everyone was able to look at a graph and go, "Well, hang on a second, or under, if everyone, even if everyone inherently understood that correlation and causation are, are different things, or small, or in, or in a statistical, in the bigger statistical picture, minor events can there can be minor outliers. You mean when a line like bisects, yeah, right, a slope. <laughs> If we can understand the trajectory of that line, we will see where else it intersects. Look, like it, it's like a, like when it, whenever there's snow somewhere, and there's all, and some asshole goes, huh, and they say there's global warming, right? That that asshole will be punched in the head immediately if <laughs> if it, people had a better global understanding. global warming. Of, but it's cold, right? The end. Bye. <laughs> Bye. And then just walks outside and immediately like a mob of people descend on him. That would be amazing. The kind of punch to the, punch to the face uh, yeah. method of education. I, uh, there was a beautiful, beautiful, if anybody, anyone listening, I, I may have spoken about this before. Um, someone showed it to me. It's the uh, it's RSA, right? RSA, which is like a – they're like TED Talky kind of a thing. Uh-huh. And it's called RSA Animate. And a lot of the same – I think it, it – they do their own things, but it's like related to TED Talks. It's like a lot of the same people. There is this one uh, gentleman who actually is a is Brit and a knight, and who did a beautiful uh, speech mm-hmm. on modern education and why right. it sucks. I think I might have seen that. Yeah, I mean, it's, this is like a clip that went kind of viral as like got passed around. Exactly, and it was like it was like a whiteboard being being animated while he's talking about it. Right, but also his actual hour speech in itself is viral. But right. him talking about like why the school system was invented. It was invented during the Enlightenment. It was like supposed to be this thing that was like it's free education, compulsory for children. Yep. And people hated it. They're like street children can't learn. They're impossible to teach. Why are we even wasting any time in that? But he just talks about how the educational system has a factory mentality that the most important thing about you is your age as if to say your manufactured date. And you're put into these groups, and you're basically put through these lines, and yes, you're supposed you to learn things in a certain way. But what it does is it is it, it equates learning to stress, uh-huh. and it makes you feel that the things that are the most interesting and unique about you are unimportant right. next to this knowledge that you're supposed to regurgitate. And and, and I think it also I think if it's the same talk I'm thinking about, it, he talks about how different people learn in different ways, understand in different ways, and playing to that like uh, for example we've... that's what howard gardner was all right. about which is like if you take the, like if they're good at love of like if they have good understanding of patterns patterns and pictures and stuff like that that's the strength that they learn from play to that strength and everything else will kind of start to come back up um like i didn't um 
math and science we've already talked about came relatively easy to me what mm-hmm. didn't come easy to me and the penny only dropped like after i left school it only dropped about maybe 10 years ago mm-hmm. was constructing arguments debating point counterpoint effectively all the tools you need to write an essay and, and there was something that i someone i think someone could have just explained it to me maybe when i was there there was probably a way that someone could have phrased it to me but it just never happened when i was say 15 and i would have got it but all my all my essays in english or subjects like that were literally like it was always root one like it was like uh romeo is this on this scene but this and this and i was just regurgitating things that the teacher had told had me. told you were I, the important things to know about yeah i had this deeper understanding of the sciences and the and mathematics and what i sort of knew what was going on underneath the stuff that the teacher was telling us in math in english i we, i was reading the book and they were telling us what the motivations were of the of the the different players in this in this novel or in the or in this play mm-hmm. uh and then i was writing an essay that was like and this and he did that and this is why he did that and the and and the author uses metaphor here to, and it was just the most basic of arguments you're making I, a ma- you're you're approaching english in the mathematical way kind of but i was approaching <laughs> i i was approaching english in the mathematical way that my girlfriend's kid approaches math because i was i was approaching math at that time when I was at school, um, in in the way of someone who really understood the subject and could investigate it and could find things out and prove it. Mm-hmm. Like, I really remember one of the things I enjoyed most in high school math was when we learned basic, when we learned the beginnings of how to prove things mm. uh, and, like, the, some of the basic techniques for proving theorems. Because uh, like, uh, you like the detective aspect of it? Yeah, proof by... It, re- absolutely! Like proof by induction, mathematical induction, and proof by and reductio ad absurdum, and having these things and and constructing a proof rather than just being told this this thing is true, and then and solving it like solving this mystery that really appealed to me. Mm-hmm. But I never I never realized I could take that investigative mindset to books, to English, or to politics. You know, at the, at that time when I was a school kid, my political views were very much shaped by just repeating received wisdom right uh just blurting out what i've heard other people said and not like there was no deeper understanding of the world um and later on in life that's something that i learned how to do and you need it to be a comedian like unless you're a hack comedian like the what we kind of do is we look at the world and we take hopefully we take the received wisdom that everyone has about a scenario and we go Here's another way of looking at it, right? And then present that to the audience. Well, but I also think that, like, and we I, make our arguments. It sounds like you be, just became an adult, is what you're saying, kind because of. in high school, like that young, it's really hard. You don't have a lot of life experience. That's true, but you you still have understandings. But here's the but, other but thing. But I didn't even know how to like with English. I okay, yeah, my understanding of the books and my understanding of the world would be at a much lower level, but I didn't even get that I could just pick a viewpoint. And argue it. Here's my my reason why. Go on. Because as a young person, uh-huh. the only uh, experience you had with adults was them telling you what to think. Yeah. As opposed to them asking you what to think. And the only people who were asking you what to think were your math teachers. Yep. That's why you gravitated towards that. Because they were telling you what it is that you're going to bring to this is more valuable than what I can tell you. You're... That- you know what? There's a there's probably some truth in that, and and I think some of it though is that because it came more easily to me, mm-hmm. 
I didn't have that block on my brain where I was like, oh, th- this is coming easily anyway. So I'm going to keep running with this mental, with this thought process and go into it further. And the, uh, But then also like whatever teacher, like teachers are humans. Yeah. They, they sense resistance. A teacher is standing in front of an, uh, a class. It's just like us at a bad show where we're like, nobody wants to listen to what the fuck I'm saying. Head down. And I'm going to barrel through the jokes. I have to do this hour of material anyway. Yeah. That's what a teacher is doing. You're up. That's very, yeah. And they can sense the resistance they can sense the coldness they uh-huh. can sense the impatience they can tell what people are really into it yep that's why on the one-on-one basis that like if you're receptive to a teacher they're going to be receptive to you they're a person yeah they're just kind of like oh you're interested in the shit that i have to say well here's more well, stuff that i wouldn't say to the rest of the class because they're fucking assholes but right you you know what i'm talking about and suddenly they're like the the sunday show that's really getting it yeah exactly so um and, I, and that's what you brought to your math because you had a, a had an understanding, you were you were eager faced and open eyed, and your ears were open and like, oh, he's listening. But I, but also, I wonder, I wonder whether some of that was because because math came easy, mm-hmm. I gravitated towards it. But when when the English didn't come easy, my brain, I all the same resistance that comes now when I'm like, I've I've got to do this thing, I've got to do my taxes, mm. and I don't because it's just this thing. There's like this mental hill that i have to get over before i start doing it right right english was a bit like that with me at school like mm-hmm. writing essays was like that with me at school right. it didn't come it there was a there was a mental hump so rather than, i think some people have it in them to like they see the mental hump and they drive towards it at speed right. and other people see that hump and they just sort of rest up against it for a bit thinking well i guess i'll start climbing in in a bit but right now i'm <laughs> gonna check facebook let me just, let, let me see if i got any rts yeah, real quick. Well, and this kind of ties all together with the work ethic stuff, right? Which so, is why I, I bet I bet a bomber at school, young Obama, would see that hump and plow towards it. Hmm. Possibly, yeah. I mean, you have to be motivated as shit, but yeah. also that single mindedness, right? You know. But I also don't think that he. I don't think that he he didn't know he was going to be the president. It wasn't until no. two thousand four, when he gave that speech at the DNC. That suddenly everybody's eyes were on him. They're like, who yeah, is but this fucking how... guy? That was when the rest of the world was like, this guy could be president. But yes. I wonder how many years before that he was like to himself, this is the path I'm on. Well, and I, and I wonder that too. And you know what? I went to this uh, thing at the Getty uh-huh. that was a bunch of um, – I dated this woman who her best friend growing up became one of these supermodels from the 90s. Right. Um, along with like Naomi Campbell and like Cindy Crawford, she was part of that group. Right, Linda Evangelista. I forget what her name was because she was the one of them that got the really bad drug problem. Right, and kind of disappeared. Whereas they all continued to have careers even though they got older. So this woman I was dating grew up with this girl, and we went to the Getty because there was this um, Herb Ritz, who's this very famous photographer in the '80s that kind of. He established this this aesthetic of photography where it was like overexposure, but it was like silhouettes and people were sweat. He did a couple music videos, like he did um, Chris Isaac's uh, "Wicked Game." Okay. He did um, a Madonna video and a Janet Jackson video, and they looked like his photography. So we went to see this photography exhibit at the Getty. Then there was this other room that was similar in the sense that it was photography of celebrities from different eras. And there was like a photograph of fucking Lincoln, and then there was Bob Dylan, yep. And then there was like all these other f- celebrities. Then there was one picture that was 
a very young Barack and Michelle Obama mm-hmm. in Chicago in the 90s that was done about uh, – it was an article done about Chicago power couples at the time. Okay. So this is a, a photograph from that article that was written. Yep. And there was a couple quotes that they had picked because it was Michelle basically saying why Barack would never be the president. She's like, he wants to get in the politics. I don't see it because he's <laughs> too nice. That's what she was saying. She's like, politics is a mean game. It's very mean, and he's too nice for it. I just don't see him going that direction. And I was like, that is – that's why they pick these because they're so ironic, these yep. statements. But it's like foreshadowing essentially from the 90s. That's why I think that like he he just cared and he wanted to be – that's why he was a community organizer. He was yeah. just like, I'm going to do what I can do in the streets to help. But at some point, you're – some point – Oh, I, 2004, man. That's when the ego started. You reckon? I, dude, he got that, that little hint. Like everyone's just like, who the fuck is this guy? He was aware. Do you not? Do you not think beforehand though, when he was like a big fish in Chicago, like which is like he was like you know? I think that he was like this is the United States of America, and there will never be a black president. I think that's where he was. And then I think two thousand four, he got that taste, and then he started writing fucking books. <laughs> right. He's like the the audacity to hope songs from my father or whatever the fuck the other one's called audacity of hope dreams of my father dreams of my father exact songs of my father it sounds like a musical it sounds, <laughs> it sounds like, like, like sounds like something disney would have put out with yeah. some racially dubious songs scenes that got cut out later <laughs> it's just a story of blackness with music by randy newman <laughs> it's like yeah. and elton something john that, it's something about that's Africa, never shown but anymore elton john wrote the music <laughs> You know how Elton John's African and stuff? <laughs> That's why we got him to write all this African music, since Elton John, Sir Elton John is from Africa. Yep. Um, He's from just up the road from where are you? Was just, just up the road from down, – down the road from, down from the road Nairobi? And, and, just uh, down the road in Nairobi? Yeah. The George Nairobi. Michael as well. The two of them were just <laughs> – we're all Africans. Oh, okay. Of course. Makes sense. I think that's what they mean when they say we're all Africans, when you see that. On posters and things. Essentially. It, it, yeah, essentially. We're all Africans. This is why this white guy wrote all this music for an African, <laughs> African story. Um, yeah, I think that Obama in 2004 really – I think when he got invited to speak at the DNC, yep. that was it. For I think that was where it started getting in his head where he was like, I could be the fucking president. So you don't think – but how, how would he be in that place where he got invited in the first place? I think place? that he had the fantasy like when we're on the basketball court and we imagine ourselves in the NBA. Okay. That, like, I could fucking do this. Who's, I that, who's he, that kid? Where did he come from? He, I think he was giving speeches and doing his work around Chicago, and every now and then he would step into the fantasy of, I'm, I'm the president. Yeah. And then it started to become a reality, and I think it switched for him. And then he really drove towards it and obviously achieved that goal. But I don't know that he had it, had it, had it in his head for a long time. This is a completely different conversation. It totally is, right. <laughs> but all this relates to your work ethic in the sense that um, you're talking about having that single-mindedness. Single-mindedness. And I, I think, you know what, it's 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 that point where you see that mental hump, that, that, that hill that you have to get over. Right. And it's whether, do you drive towards that hill or do you check your email for a bit? And I think the longer, for me at least, the longer I look at the hump, the bigger it gets. Yeah, absolutely. And the more you're like, oh, fuck, I've got to deal with that hump. Got to deal with, and every single time, whenever whenever there's been like a mini project, like that writing thing that I was telling you about, or like mm-hmm. do my taxes, or or any of those little things that like I need to get this done. Mm-hmm. Whenever I do finally settle down and start doing it, I'm mm-hmm. like, God 
damn, why didn't I do this? Start why this didn't I do it's, this? It's not that hard. They're never that hard. Like, it's never... Nothing we have to do on a daily basis is ever that difficult. It's and always so, the anticipation and never the event itself. And if it's a writing thing, I like it. I enjoy... Like, every so often in this job, you, you're, you're asked to write... Uh, to submit a writer's packet right. for a show. Like, it's... Um, uh, f- like, a lot of the late-night talk shows or any any... Shows that just require a lot of jokes. What normally happens is before the show starts or before the season starts or when they're just looking for new employees, mm-hmm. um, they will they will get in touch with the various managers and agents of writers or potential writers and say, submit a packet. And what it normally means is you write a set number of jokes in the categories that they ask for mm-hmm. and maybe some ideas for sketches or whatever. They, they have different Sketches that fit the voice of the show. Exactly. And Sometimes them asking you to write... Your version of a sketch they have done, yeah, like an ongoing sketch. Yeah, sometimes, like, yeah, exactly. If it's a, like, if it's an existing show, uh, like Colbert, like Colbert, yeah, we'll write we'll, a threat down, write a the word, write a all this exactly, stuff. yeah. Um, and whenever I get one of those things, I'm like, right, gotta get on with that. Little hill, little hill, can't start, can't start. And then when I eventually do start, which is normally about three hours before it's due in, <laughs> like, of course, it, it's a. Uh, I love it. I like it because I, I love writing jokes. It's one of my favorite things in the world. And when, I, when I've produced a page of one-liners that I'm like, topical one-liners or whatever that I'm proud of, like, that was fun. That was a really enjoyable, I have that same enjoyment that like, like we were talking about beforehand with proving a mathematical theorem. Just right, like, right. oh, it's full. I had these ideas and there was like a muddle in my head, like a cloud, a muddy cloud. Writing a joke is often like you've got this sort of muddy cloud of ideas swilling around. And and something suddenly forms out of that cloud, and it works, and it has shape, and it has form, and it's correct. It's like it's neat. Let me put this to you, Matt. Yeah. And maybe I'm saying this is a maybe a thing that both of us have in common. Uh-huh. Stand up is that. Yeah. Stand up is you are solving an equation. There is something funny about this idea, and I'm going to rework this until I have proved the theorem. Right, and it's about it's. But you get immediate feedback on whether right whether you're right or not. Whereas with all this other perpetual, I got to do my taxes. I got to write a script. I got to write a submission packet. I got to do all this stuff. It's this, in a sense, it's this perpetual busy work. Yeah, in which you do not get immediate feedback. Which is why I find. Which is why of all the things related to our craft, stand up is the thing that I find easiest. Like of all the of all the different jobs, I think like with my. Mentality. As long as I get to the gig on time, I I will have to walk out on stage when that when the MC says my name, and I can start creating or I can start doing pre existing material. But like, there's a set. You're doing this now. There's no like, there's no self. There's there's no time organization. Mm-hmm. I'm in one place. Whenever I've had a writing job, when I'm in the writer's room. Oh yeah. Once I'm on the show, once I'm done it, like you know. See, and that's the thing. As Getting as, like, into the all the things I'm in the do, office by nine thirty when they ask me to be. You're there. Everything you have to do to get to the point where you can get that job yeah. is like this perpetual busy work that feels it's a hump. But when I'm in the right, when I've been in a writer's room or I've been in that place, I can hold my own with anybody. It's. I know what to do. It's a back and forward. Here's some, a lot of ideas. Yeah. I, there is there are definite parallel because a lot of people have asked me about isn't it. Like, quite often they find out I got a math degree, and they're like, how did you end up going into comedy? That's kind of weird. It isn't that weird. And we've, no. ta- we've talked about this in the past before, like, uh, 
Um, in fact, there's a book that just came out. Simon Singh, who writes a lot of good books about mathematics and science, mm. just came out with this book called The Simpsons and Their Mathematical Secrets. Huh. And it's about how a surprisingly large proportion of the Simpsons and Futurama writing stuff. It, it's less surprising for Futurama, but like even the Simpsons stuff is very heavy, heavily skewed towards math and computer science and physics graduates. Interesting. Um, and from Harvard as well. Yeah. Uh, and it, but there there are definite analogies and mathematicians, pure mathematicians, particularly, which is what I always preferred anyway. Uh, the the far more abstract stuff. Um, really like neat proofs. They really like beautiful proofs, and they talk about proofs and theorems in terms of beauty. Mm-hmm. So there are, um, with certain, if you're trying to prove a certain theorem, there are, there's often many different ways to prove it. Like Pythagoras's theorem, there are hundreds of different ways that people have come up with over the years to prove Pythagoras. Mm-hmm. Um, but some are elegant. Some are, some are elegant and some are like a neat and beautiful and, um, and really concise. Wow. Okay. And, and that's, that's what you're often looking for with a joke with a joke. You, a lot of jokes are about, you have two abstract ideas and you're trying to get from A to B mm-hmm. and you're trying to get from A to B in the most efficient, in, in the shortest way mm-hmm. that still gets all the concepts across. Yeah. You're, Sometimes you're, longer. Yeah. <laughs> when you're Baron Vaughn, it takes but, a long time. But you're often trying to find like the neatest way to get all of that information out. Concise, In a way that clear. makes the audience understand it still. Yes. Like you sort of go, hang on, if I, can I take out these words and still, and not lose any of the comprehension? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can I... Uh, can I connect them in a different way? Is there another way to get from A to B without doing and that? And that's where the... Uh... That was my yawn of opera, my yawn pra. That's where the beauty can come in, where you, you and us as comedians, we watch a comedian that's a master. Yeah. And we see them basically building these equations in front of our... Taking very two disparate subjects... Yes. Or something that's really complicated. It's like, how are they going to put those together? And then watching them and, and they're, they're be a... able to surf on all of that and, and structure it. I mean, I just watched that. Have you seen that new Bill Cosby yet? The new oh, special, Far I, From Finished? I haven't, but I was there for one of the taping shows. Oh, you were? Yeah. I thought it was gorgeous. He's amazing. I'd it's, never seen him live before. He's, he's Bill Cosby for a fucking reason. There was this effortlessness. This ease, this turn of fret. Like there were a couple. There were, I don't know whether it was a bit that made it into the show because apparently we watched the early show. He recorded two shows. Yeah, I and the that. early show was very early. Yeah, because it because it's Bill Cosby and half his fans are getting on They're a bit. old. Yeah, so um, <laughs> they're uh, half his age, which means they have even earlier. So yeah, time. so we might we might do like a an eight and ten show. He did. Uh, there was like a three in the afternoon and a five thirty in the afternoon. Oh, he had a matinee. Yeah, he had. Well, he had a, like a double. He had like the early wow. matinee and then the later matinee. Okay. Um. But uh, and we saw the early show, and I was talking to my my, my management company, Levity, produced the special. Okay. So I was talking to uh, talking to them afterwards, and apparently, um, he did it. He did about an hour and fifty minutes in the uh, in the early show, uh, and then the late show, he did a completely different hour and fifty minutes. Yeah, I heard. I now wish I'd seen both those shows because uh, so I don't know whether any of this stuff, the stuff we saw, made it into the final version. Well, I know some but... people who uh saw. Had been seeing him for the last decade, essentially. Yeah, and there was some material they recognized, even though it was little different. Yeah, the 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 point that he made changed, right? Or the wording changed, or something like that. Or he it was a little bit more condensed than it was when they saw it. So it's like 
he tweaks. He still like tweaks and tinkers. And... He tweaks and tinkers because he's, he's a master. Um, but there were a couple of beautiful Just, turns of phrases. Yeah, like he he told a story about um. He told a story about something he said to his dad. I can't remember what the thing was, but he locked himself in the in his room. He said something to his parents, ran upstairs, and locked himself in his in his childhood bedroom when he was a kid. Yeah. Okay. And uh, as so I'm guessing, this didn't make it into the special. If you're not recognizing this bit of material already, no. uh, and he tells, and it's the way he te- he builds up the story, and his dad's coming up the stairs and shouting him to open the door, and he doesn't open the door, and his dad kicks the door, and and he goes, and the lock held firm but the frame fell in (laughs) and it's just what a beautiful like just that that's like sort of six or seven words um but so many comics would have just gone kicks the door he kicked the whole door frame in like you wouldn't you wouldn't think to just drama it's so perfectly it's drama what a elegant way to get to get across what's what is he getting across the my dad kicked the door in like that. What right. an elegant, beautiful way to get that across. I remember in uh, one of my favorite little moments in himself was the whole story about it's the story that his dad is great. He gave us the chocolate cake. Right. Like that whole thing where his wife is like, you're going to go kick, cook breakfast for these kids. And just the way that he describes the emotional state of getting out of bed and how bothered he was and he's going, I'm going to the fridge and I open the fridge and I grab the milk and I put the milk over here and I grab the flour and I put the flour over here and I grab the eggs and you have to be very careful with eggs. <laughs> and then I grab just like that slow moment where he puts, he places the eggs even in that state he's like, I don't want to break the eggs. Let's it's put those such down. a keen observation. Be- and it's just like only Bill Cosby would do something like that. Because I think there are two there are like two classes of comics, great comics, when you're looking at stuff like someone like Bill Cosby, who nothing he says is a surprise, but the way he says way it he says is it. constantly a surprise. It's constantly like is a constant delight. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. there's someone like Maria Bamford, who I think she's I think she's one of the best. I think she is one of the greatest of all time. And I, when you when I watch I I can't even watch Maria as a comedian watching a show because her brain is so surprising and left field yeah yeah like and it's you're right whenever when i watch com- her i'm not watching her as a comic i'm i am an audience member because you because you can't even so she's surprising and delighting by just connecting she's by by going away you would never think to go mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and also beautiful turns of phrases yeah just like the way that she describes something some sometimes is so like like i have to sit with it for a little bit yeah like i think when i watch someone like when I watch someone like Bill Cosby or when I or or like or Louis C.K. or any any of these people who are just like, phenomenal practitioners of my art, I go I look at them and go, they are phenomenal practitioners of my art. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. like, they are doing what I do, but they've taken it to a supreme level. So so I'm looking at them. I guess I'm looking at them like like a club sprinter looks at Usain Bolt. Nah. Like he's he's the best. But we're still running the same way along the same track. Hmm. Whereas, like, watching Mary Bamford is more like a sprinter watching a triple jumper. Like, what is what is she? I don't know what she's doing. It worked. It somehow worked. <laughs> I have no idea. Well, I'm not doing that. That's not how I'm going to get from there to there. Hmm. 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 
I'm trying to tie this all together now. I'm trying to say like, what? Where is this in our work ethic? I don't know. Because you know what? So, although Steve it... Martin is another one for me, and I was talking to somebody about this thing the other day that Steve Martin is a workhorse. He's got a work ethic. Yeah. Um, His book, um, I'm sure you've read, standing up. is one of the best insights into the craft, into every like. But that's exactly what he is. He's a craftsman. Yeah, he works at one thing incredibly which uh, so diligence until he's incredible at it then he moves on yep and someone was saying that they that he was 19 mm-hmm. when he picked up a banjo and he was not good at it but he had the idea if i do this diligently by in 40 years i'll be really good at it and literally almost 40 years later he has a band he won a <laughs> grammy for a fucking bluegrass album <laughs> He wrote an album of bluegrass music with Bella Fleck, who's a, apparently the the best banjo player in the world. And then he fucking won a Grammy after many Grammys that he's already won for fucking like audio books and uh, yeah, and comedy and like and comedy and shit like that. So it's just kind of like I'm gonna get really good at stand up. Did it. I'm gonna get really good at making movies. Done. I'm gonna write some plays. Done. How about a book? And done. <laughs> Maybe a bluegrass album. And done. Holy fucking shit. Yep. And I feel like, okay, I'm going to outline what I believe is the problems of my work ethic. Go on. And then you shall do the same. I I fret about what is the one thing I'm supposed to be doing right now. Mm-hmm. I am thinking of five things that I could be doing. That's where, That's my biggest thing. I'm like, okay, I could be doing, I should be doing this, 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 this. this. Oh, ooh, ooh, the word should. I put so much pressure on myself. I go like, I should be doing this and that and this and this and fucking this. And I'm thinking about how to do all five of those things simultaneously instead of picking one, doing it for a couple of hours. Absolutely. Doing the next one for a couple of hours. And even within that task, and this is, again, the thing that I'm, I'm realizing, although when it, although I, I constantly realize retrospectively, like I never really properly realize it when it's in, in the foreground. But when I'm looking back on it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that was the case. Um, even within each of those individual tasks, if you can't get a start on it, each task can be broken down very easily into other tasks. Like if you've got to write, if you have to write a packet, mm-hmm. I look at, I'll look at this, like a, a writer's packet will often have like five categories that they want jokes on. They want like, we need 20 topical joke one-liners. Then we need two original sketch ideas. Then we need two examples of this existing format that we have on our show right. or whatever. And those are distinct tasks. And I look at that whole document and go, oh, God, this is going to be a hassle. A Rather than stuff. just going, hey, you like writing topical jokes. Why don't you do that one first? Uh, and then you, and then, you see how, then you see a fifth of it filled in. And they're like, oh, you can fit ideas to this form well, then do that one right right and then by the end you go well shit i've done 80 percent of this thing now the thing that has been that i there's been in my head is the trickiest that's all that's left and it's ah, you can do that like i, I and i never realized that in advance mm. like i never in advance know that are you projecting a certain order like i i can see i'm thinking that like in, if i were in the same uh case that instead of i would feel like I would start projecting the proper order in which I'm supposed to execute these tasks instead of being like, I'm going to do the one that I like the best first. Yeah. Cause you know what? Maybe it's, maybe it's something that's yeah, left over I... from homework. There's question number one, 
Yep. And I would just stare at question number one until I got it. And you get stressed, and you get and, and I get and then stressed. Go, oh, I don't want to do this. But I, why didn't I just go to number two? Yeah. And when number I two was like, out, oh, I know how to do number two. When I figured out that I can just go past number one. Yep. And just be like, I'll do number two. I'll come back to number one. Yeah. That was a world of difference to me. But I still do that sometimes with long form writing assignments. Because you're still you still look at this hill, and and you realize, oh, it's not actually a hill. It's a series of steps, and you just have to. And you, at some point, you have to have done all of those steps. But you can get someone to drive you up to the third stage. You can do stage three to four now. Then you can just, then you can get a ride back down to the bottom of the hill. Then you can do stage one to two. Then you can get a ride up to the very top of the hill, do stages four to five. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're teaching ourselves. We are. We're I'm learning. I'm, we're healing, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be president by the end of the... Oh, no. You're not even born in this country. I feel like that's not possible. Well, Schwarzenegger is going to do it. What can I say? <laughs> um, interesting. Very interesting. So what are your, what are your promises uh, to yourself in terms of your work ethic that you're trying to keep right now? Like, what are the things that are you have uh, introduced into your life to get better at this? I think I'm. I. I. I again, I. I always think about how do I. How can I eliminate distractions? Mm-hmm. Because. Because when that again, when that hill is there, even if I've broken it down into six easy stages, if there's that hill there, and there's like a water slide just to the right, just to the right. Then I I might just veer off to the right there because you've already broken that hill down in the six steps. It's not going to take that long. I have enough time to do this. Yeah, water I'll just slide. do the water slide. I'll just do the water slide first, and then I'll come. And back. in reality, what it what it actually means is often, oh, normally half the work I'm meant to be doing is on my computer, and my computer's connected to the internet, and the internet's like the world's biggest, funnest water slide. Uh, <laughs> That's hilarious. It's, uh, and, it, and there's always little distractions like that. So like. Cutting out those is the real is a real issue. It's a water rabbit hole, right? Thing. Yeah. Um, and then, so it's working ways to avoid that to cut that to cut that the hell out. Because I think I think I really am probably addicted to the internet, computers, phone, whatever, whatever. You, it's because you get immediate uh, feedback, immediate Maybe. satisfaction. Plus, like stand up, like I get, I get, joke, laugh. You know where you stand. Yeah, like if if I'm on a plane and uh after and like you know, a three hour flight, my when we land, my hand is as twitchy for my iPhone as the smoker next to me is for his packet of cigarettes. Very true. Very true. The moment the wheels hit the ground, I turn airplane mode off. I literally yeah. had my finger floating above the no more airplane mode. Yeah. <laughs> hit it. Okay, good. Yeah. While we I, taxi, I exactly. I'll, get, I'll finally I'm, get all – yeah. I'm glad I'm not the only one who does that. Oh, definitely not, man. You know what? You know what? I remember reading this uh, article about millennials, and um, there was something that I thought was really interesting in it. Mm-hmm. And because I was just thinking that, like, the internet is immediate, you get immediate feedback, you get instant yep. gratification. I type a word into Google, and then suddenly there's so much information based on that word. Uh-huh. Poop. All the pictures of poop you could want. Articles want about a lot poop. Of pictures of poop. How to make your poops better. Yep. How to turn your poop into this. Just every – it's immediate gratification. Now, what they said, what I thought was interesting because what's unique about millennials as opposed to any other generation before them is that the millennials around the world look like each other. That has never happened, right? Before the millennials in this country, we have Generation X, right? Every other country has a completely different generation before millennials that they call something different. It has nothing to do with Generation X, like That's, us, right? That's interesting. Millennials 
are everywhere because they're all looking at each other. They're all their friends on Facebook and Instagram and Foursquare and Twitter, and people are looking at outfits in Thailand and Brazil and Indonesia and fucking, you know, Germany, and they're all copying each other. So there's a global there's a global generation, and that's never really happened before. Then the other thing is, which I thought was really fascinating, was to be in the internet age is for everyone to be a rich kid. Because the thing that rich people had that the poor never had, which was access. Instant access to information and Instant knowledge. Instant access to information and knowledge. We all have it now. Yep. So we're become, we have, in a, in a larger sense, across all generations, not just millennials, become spoiled to the fact that I have access to everything at any time I want it. Right. And, it's, and some, that's too much sometimes. It is too much. You know? And it's like, I remember hearing, I mean, Pete Holmes has a joke about it, you know, or you... you if you wanted to know something and you didn't know, you just didn't know. Yeah. And you just had to live with that. If you missed a film or a TV show, you yes, missed I didn't it. see it. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't see Hey, did you see last night's? Nope. The end of the conversation. <laughs> now it's like, but it's all on Netflix. Yep. You, there's no reason for you to not have seen and done and know everything. And, the, and there's less planning as well. Ooh, like, the text message, I'm 15 minutes late. Right, exactly. Um, Mickey Flanagan, British comic, had a really nice bit he used to do about, like, how did you, how did you cope before phones? Oh, well, we made plans and we stuck to them. We stuck to them, exactly. <laughs> and and like, I, I was thinking about that, just kind of like, I was thinking about how much I am texting or calling the person that I'm about to meet. Right. En route to the meet. Where are you? Where is it? Uh, I'm going to be there in this amount of time because now, now you you figure it'll all work out. Like what me coming around here, you about an hour and a half beforehand, you say, could you make it at two thirty? Yes, I. You gave me your address, but not like your specific apartment, and I just drove to wet to the vague area where you lived, knowing that at some point when I got close, we'd be able to narrow, we'd be able to hone in on this. Exactly, I was just thinking about that. How it used to be that if you showed up fifteen minutes late, you were a dick. Yeah. You know, you had to get all this information. Where is it? I remember seeing I saw some movie from the seventies and it was someone driving around LA and they were looking at a map. People came to the city and had to read maps while they were driving around. When I first um when I first got to LA, I didn't have a smartphone and I didn't have I, I didn't have a GPS, but I would print out maps f- to my gigs. I, I I go to Google or go to MapQuest or whatever and I would print out the directions the map the route you're looking you're, you're cross-referencing but that but if you people... missed if i missed one turn they're like ah shit i just printed it out step by step now i don't know where i'm going but guess what when you do that it goes into your memory yeah more. i'm glad i'm glad now that i spent problem solved and now you know the city i'm glad i'm really glad retrospectively that i spent my first three years in la without map technology in my car because now i know the city now i understand the city and now now i do use google maps or Waze or whatever but if it's sending me routes, I n- I have an understanding. We- Again, we're getting back to the understanding. Yeah. Uh, I oh, a- I can't take a left over Venice. Yeah, or maybe I have an understanding of Venice? why it's making me do that and thinking, well, no, maybe. I-. So I, c- I could improvise around that. I get the underlying stuff mm-hmm. rather than just following instructions blindly. Um, Very true. Oh, my friend, Je- you know Jesse Joyce? I think I do, yeah. He used to have this this such a monologue joke. I think that he actually wrote it 
for a packet, and then they just started doing it as act. Right, just didn't get picked. It for was the something shows. about how. I remember the joke was, there was a, a something was going on in Germany where there was something off in the satellite mm-hmm. that went to every GPS in Germany, in which it was telling people to take lefts or rights five meters before they actually were supposed to. Right. It would say take a right here, and then people were just. There were there was a people were just driving into houses. driving into buildings and hitting each other because they were they weren't paying attention to what they were doing they were just following the voice yep and he's like and that just goes to prove that if you tell Germans anything in a calm enough voice <laughs> they will just follow you no matter what you would no matter if it matters that they're going to get hurt in the end essentially so you already got the joke but i'm i paraphrased it and ruined it but that remember that was like uh, again go just goes to show that if you tell germans something enough in a calm enough voice they will follow you into the building um but that's a perfect example of just kind of like yeah look look up look up brother well good talk matt it's been really good talking to you yeah we'll do this again i hope so all right well get out of here let's let's try to get our work ethic on Let's do it. I got some, uh, gotta do my taxes. Uh oh, tax time! This probably won't go up until January, just to let anyone know it's December while we're talking. That's true. Bye forever. Thank you very much for listening, guys. That is me, deep shitting it up. I. Um, uh, I'm going to get my shit together on the All Things Comedy Network uh, website because I need to set up that PayPal uh, thing correctly just in case any of you want to send me any donations. They would be greatly appreciated. Uh, I don't know if you uh, heard this, but I need a new microphone and a new mic cord. I don't know which one yet. I need to go get them tested, but I feel like that's going to be another uh, situation. It's going to take me a while to do such, especially since I don't have a car, as you know. Hey, I need a new car. So if you want to send any donations, I will get the whole thing uh, fixed on my All Things Comedy Network uh, page for Deep Shit. Um, and also listen to all the other podcasts on All Things Comedy Network. Um, I want to give two plugs, too, because I haven't p- posted podcasts, and we always get these emails from everybody uh, at the All Things Comedy Network to promote certain things. And uh, I want to I tell you two things. Number one, um, Tom Segura. Um, from your mom's house that he does with his wife, Chrissy, Christina Pajitsky. Christina Pajitsky and Tom Segura have a podcast called Your Mom's House. Anyway, Tom Segura has a new special on Netflix. I encourage you to watch it. Tom is an incredibly funny, incredibly funny comedian. And um, he's got a very, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Methodical style. You know, um, I hate to compare comedians to other comedians, but I think he's sort of in the wheelhouse of like a Todd Berry and a, and a David Tell. Um, he's not as low energy as Todd, and but he's not as high energy as Dave. But uh, he can also be quite scandalous, but the man can write funny jokes. And he's very, very funny, so check out his special. And one of my favorite people um, and one of my favorite comedians, Jackie Cation, also has a new special slash comedy album out. That is available for download at the All Things Comedy uh, website called This Will Make an Excellent Horcrux. Some of you might know what that is. Some of you might not. It's a Harry Potter reference. And uh, I, I haven't even heard it yet. I'm sure I've heard some of those jokes being worked on. And I think I've said this to you before. Jackie Cation is literally one of my favorite people to watch work. 
to watch her build stand up is it's it's a, it's um it's there's something inspiring and uh, uh, awe inspiring and um, awe inspiring. That's all I can say. I love watching that woman work and uh, she's very funny. So make sure to check out her new thing. This will make an excellent Horcrux also available on the All Things Comedy Network. Guys, this is deep shit. I'm going to put up another episode. I'm also going to start doing um, little mini episodes when I can't get guests because I just want to keep making content. I'm going to start calling those things pieces of shit. Yeah. You don't understand how happy I was when I thought of that. <laughs> I was like, what can I call it if it's like a mini shit? Mini shit? No, I can't call it that. Talking shit? There's already a podcast called that pieces of shit. <gasps> there you go. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for invading my mind and planting that wordplay in there. No problem, Baron. Whoa, Jesus. You got a strange voice. I know, but the Bible doesn't have any talking in it. Okay. Good to know. So, anyone... Anyone, anyone? I meant to say anyway, but anyone came out. Anyway, guys, that's deep shit. See you next time. <laughs>